the Brexit Breakdown Podcast from the UK in a changing Europe. Hello and welcome to another Brexit Breakdown Podcast. I'm James Miller, author, journalist, man on a mission to find out more about Brexit. And to that end, in this yet another big Brexit week, I was joined by two chatty and informed guests. The best sort, really. First of all, Seb Dance, the Labour MEP for London. Um, How much longer he'll be uh, an MEP, we discussed, as well as how Brussels sees Brexit and the Labour Party position on it. And we were joined by a titan of Brexit, but a newbie to the UK in a changing Europe. Professor Meg Russell, Director of the Constitution Unit at University College London, now also a Senior Fellow of UK in a changing Europe at King's College London. I don't really know how that works. I I guess she's bridging a Brexit divide. I know a man who went to University College London, and he says they sing really rude songs about King's College London. But there you go, Meg is already bridging divides. Maybe she can do the same on Brexit. We had lots to discuss, but before we get into it, let me get you involved with a wee competition. Literally a wee competition. The answer's in the podcast, so listen out for it, and I'll give details of how to enter at the end. But the question I want you to answer, and if you get it right, if you're first out of the hat, you can win a limited edition Brexit breakdown mug, no less. Uh, The question I want you to answer is, how many statues of animals or people urinating is there in Brussels? Like I say, the answer is in the podcast, uh, so stay tuned. And uh, at the end, I'll give you the ways to enter the competition and uh, generally sum up and how to get in touch and all that sort of stuff. But uh, first of all, here we go with a discussion with Seb and Meg. How surprised are you to still be a a Labour MEP? I'm not surprised by anything anymore, but um, I I think the 2017 Seb will be very surprised. Yeah, I mean, were you all sort of geared up for... I mean, did you genuinely think March 31st was the deadline and you were starting looking for another job? Um, I'd spent a lot of this process thinking no, um, but yes, there were periods, I think probably December of 2018, when I thought it would be March the 29th for a brief period. I did believe that. And then I went back to thinking it wouldn't be. <laughs> I mean, well, how do you make that decision? Because like, oh, you'd have to look true. for another job, and then at a point you think, I'm not going to look for another job, yeah, I'm going to gamble that I'll get re-elected. I, I mean, that's I mean, a big gamble to take. It is a, it is a gamble from a, a personal point of view, I suppose. Um, but, I mean, I'm resolved to see this thing through. Um, so, uh, in that sense, I'm, I'm, I'm not really gambling yet. Are you looking for a job now? Because this thing is going to be through on October the 31st, right? Uh, right? Well, we'll see about that. I think there's a strong chance it won't be, but um, obviously I'm thinking about options and things, but I can't be concrete about anything because a lot of my options also depend on what happens on uh, October the 31st. So it's not just uh, being a member of the European Parliament. There's all sorts of things that I would want or not want to do that, 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 that depend on what happens to the country. So you've I, got I don't think of, I'm unique of, in that position. Yeah, a bit of Brexit uncertainty, <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. is what you're talking yeah, about yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Really, um, everyone else, really. But... Is it unstoppable, Meg, for Brexit's going to happen, right? And it's going to happen in October. It's unstoppable now. No, it's not unstoppable. Parliament oh. passed a bill, um, the, the, the Hillary-Benn bill, um, to 
try and avoid a no deal. And obviously there's been lots and lots of criticism of Boris Johnson as to whether he really is seeking a deal. Um, he says that he can get one, but if he doesn't get one, there's now a statute in place to require him to go and ask for an extension if there's no deal before the 31st, and he needs to do that from the 19th of October. Question marks about whether he will and what happens if he doesn't and so on, but he is statutorily bound to go and ask for an extension. But there's no binding on them to grant him one, of course. Mm. That's Mm. a negotiation between the European partners, and Seb would have more views on that Mm. than me, but... It certainly feels like, one way and another, a general election is looming. And one of the things which has always been said is going to cause them to feel they have to give us an extension is to facilitate a general election. So I don't think it's certain at all. But he says he won't do it. And constitutionally, I mean, obviously you're the expert here, so I'm I'm diving in here. This is all going to go horribly wrong very quickly, I should imagine. As long as he's prime minister, he can essentially, it has an awful lot of, power just by sitting in number 10 so if he says he's not going to do it there are levers he could pull i don't know what they are well he has various levers yeah but i mean he lots of people fall into the trap in british politics of thinking that the government is the senior partner and parliament is the junior one and actually it is the other way around it's always the other way around it doesn't always feel like that because the usual thing is that the government has a majority in the House mm. of Commons. And when mm. the government has a majority in the House of Commons, the government says it wants something and the House mm. of Commons delivers it. We don't have that at the moment. And in fact, it's never like that anyway, because the government always thinks about what its MPs will accept. And often there are sort of behind the scenes deals and climb downs when, the, when ministers realise there are things they won't be able to get through. So if Johnson doesn't want to implement follow the requirements in the Ben Bill. There there are a few things he can do. Obviously, the first thing is he could get a deal and then he wouldn't need it. Uh, get a deal that he brings back to the Commons and they approve. Well, that does, yes, it does feel a bit unlikely just at the moment. Secondly, um, he can resign. That way he doesn't have to do it if he really is that opposed to it. And he made that speech about dying and rather dying rather than dying in a he would rather die in a ditch than do it. And some people some people interpreted that as meaning he was going to flout the law, and other people interpreted it as saying that he was going to resign. Mm. The latter of those courses would be entirely proper. The former, <laughs> if he tried to not implement the law and stay in office, that would be entirely improper. For a prime minister to be in breach of the law would be extraordinary would and unacceptable. And well, it's so unprecedented, I don't know where it would go, and I'm not a lawyer, but the courts would step in. But I think before that, actually, with Parliament sitting, the first thing is Parliament sacks him. Mm. You know, right. the, the courts would deal with the consequences later, I guess, but Parliament doesn't sit by and wait for the judges or the police to come round or something. Mm. Parliament votes no confidence in him, and they replace him with an alternative Prime Minister who is prepared to go and ask for an extension, and I think they would. Yeah. Mm. Maybe, Is that you, Seth? Well, Are you the alternative Prime Minister? Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Give me a chance. Uh, I'll sort the country out. Uh, <laughs> where have we heard that before? Um, look, I, 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 that's, I suppose, a theory. The, the problem is there's no majority for anybody. Uh, so, in a sense, there's no confidence in this government, but there's maybe slightly more confidence in, in, a, in a different formulation, the problem being that there wouldn't be any majority for that either. Um, so I have no idea what happens in those situations. I mean, the, the, the problem I've had over the last few weeks is when Parliament wasn't sitting, all we hear is this, you know, the government's summer grid, press release after press release, sometimes striking fear into the heart of millions, not least the EU citizens have been told 
that free movement would end on day one. Uh, all of it nonsense, of course, but all of it coordinated centrally and able not to be challenged because there's no sitting parliament. As soon as parliament sits, the system works, you know, it kicks in, we have the checks and balances, we have the um, uh, the, the, the rule of law, in effect, re-established. Yeah. Re but as soon as parliament's not sitting, we're going to go back to this kind of, you know, the government dictates things and there's no unified way of challenging that. That's that's what I fear. Obviously, I, I, I mean, that's the kind of politics of it. Um but 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 yeah, this 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 vote of no confidence in replacing the prime minister. I I at this stage I can't I can't map what happens if he's if he's removed. Then then you personally, know. I I I feel they would probably get it together. I mean, you know, prediction mm. is a mugs game, sure, isn't sure. it? In 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 this world at the moment, but. Um, you know, there were there was lots of talk, wasn't there, over the summer about a possible government of national unity? Mm. Would it be led by Jeremy Corbyn or Harriet Harman or Ken Clark? And I think when push comes to shove, if we get to he's supposed to go and ask for this extension on the nineteenth of October. Mm. If we get to the twentieth, the twenty first of October, you know, he's going to be hauled in front of the House of Commons, urgent questions, mm. emergency debates, and so on. Mm. They will, I mean, I think the opposition parties have been increasingly disciplined. They've been working together better and better. And I think even just for a few days, they would be sufficiently disciplined but to put someone in who'd ask for the extension, and then we'd be into an election. The, the problem is that MPs will then have to approve something that they know will be taken in the context of a general election. So if the Liberal Democrats back the leader of the opposition to be the interim prime minister, then they're then open to accusations of propping him up. And, yeah. and, and, and this is where I think at this stage, I mean, it, it might well be this is when we open this idea from the summer, someone like Ken Clark or, or whoever becomes interim prime minister. There's a new candidate minister. there, actually. I've <laughs> really? tried this on a few people. There's a new candidate there. How about Nicholas Soames? Ooh, right, yes. Oh, Very Churchillian. Yes, and, uh, absolutely. He's got the hand of history. Yeah. All right, let's... Let, okay, a couple of things. A, this is clearly very complicated uh, and all the rest of it. So, first of all, um, Meg, are you loving it? Are you enjoying all this? I mean, you know, the Constitution Unit is now, you know, basically like the Rolling Stones in the 60s. You're like massive <laughs> and everyone wants to know you and all this sort of stuff, right? Are you enjoying this? Our Twitter following has gone up somewhat. Uh, yes, the number of uh, all those things on Twitter engagements and so on have gone up by sort of 500% in the last few days and that kind of thing. So, um, I mean, look, at one level, it's very worrying. You yeah. know, politics is deeply unstable. There's lots of kind of nastiness and division in the country. The political parties, both, well, the Conservatives particularly at the moment, seems to be in meltdown but the Labour Party isn't in great shape either um, people are really really fed up people who voted for Brexit and people who are against Brexit and you've got a Prime Minister who is flouting the conventions and doing inappropriate things like mm. shutting down Parliament so this is all terribly troubling but, but yeah I mean it's exhausting it's fascinating it's intellectually stretching we're having to think through things prospects that we've never had to think through before is you know mm. really keeps your brain going and it's kind of energizing at one level yeah, to be doing be. that it must be it must be better it's than being a politics professor in the 50s when you had botskillism and everything it was just boring it's fascinating but i have to say <laughs> on balance i would prefer that we were in a better place <laughs> fair, yeah fair enough maybe and, we will be afterwards i mean who knows it's one of those okay well the other side of that again if it's complicated and we're sitting here with you know the director of the Constitution Unit, who is saying there's all sorts of different things can happen. What do they say in Brussels? I mean, <laughs> uh, what reaction right, do you yeah, get? Well, I mean, you've had all sorts of emotions, really, over the past three years. I suppose, um, yeah, look, the overriding one is one of amazement. Um, 
our reputation, I cannot emphasise this enough, is shot to pieces. How, how does that manifest itself? Well, I mean, we, we have often been regarded as a country that has had an incredibly um, clever way of working with the rest of the world. Our, our, our diplomacy is second to none. Our, our observation of the rule of law, our, our, our ability to face down crises by being calm and methodical and, and all the rest of it. And it's shot to pieces. And, and, and people look at us as a symbol of a country that has is basically undergoing something of a breakdown, um, socially, politically, potentially economically as well. And, and, and that is causing a lot of alarm. What worries me in terms of the attitude from my colleagues who have you know, right across the board been saying, you know, we're with you and stay strong and we hope you win this fight. But, you know, you might not, but you know, you'll always be our friends and all the rest of it is starting now to turn on into a look, just 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 go. Just, you know, we'll deal with the short term pain of this because we know it'll affect you far more than us. And we're sorry about this, but we cannot handle the discussion any longer because it's 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 keeping Europe back. And I think what we have to do as pro-Europeans, uh, working across all parties, and we are doing this, is to emphasise to our colleagues, look, yes, this is an issue that needs resolving in the UK, but it doesn't need to infect the European Union going forward. It can move forward. We just need to resolve this within the UK internally. But we're not going to resolve it. I mean, well, well, we, will one there day. Is... we will one day. We won't resolve it by a no deal, because, of course, that then, uh, uh, quite yeah, aside just... from the initial chaos and obviously the need to then go back to get emergency deals from a supplicant position where we have no... Uh, economic strength is one thing. We won't resolve this through a deal uh, uh, akin to Theresa May's deal because you know that leaves so many unanswered questions. It doesn't close down the debate. We'll still have the accusations of treachery and it not being a proper Brexit. That will then go on and on. In my view, it's just a slower route to no deal. Uh, and, and we won't resolve it by, by simply cancelling Brexit because, of course, you've then got this betrayal myth that kind of hangs around and, and, and all the rest of it. I honestly feel the only way to resolve this is to put the reality of Brexit back to the British people and say, do you want to do this or do you want to remain in the European Union? That, to me, is the only way to resolve this particular conundrum. And I accept that whatever the outcome of that, you would still end up with a lot of anger and, and resentment, I'm afraid. Everyone, whatever side of this debate you're on, you're going to have to internalise that and we're going to have to find ways of dealing with it. I mean, I'd suggest uh, if we were to go down that route with the uh, polling papers, you send out a copy of the UK to Changing Europe's excellent report on No Deal. Um, because it sounds from what you're saying that there is as much misunderstanding or as little understanding, if you want to put it like that, of exactly what No Deal means and exactly what happens after Brexit, you know, after we've technically left, yeah. as there is over here, Well, I was, it's different, though. So having spoken to some perm reps uh, from other member states, it's very much a business thing. So it's our businesses have internalised this cost. Uh, and, you know, on a spreadsheet, you know, massive, great big red numbers everywhere, but it's internalised, it's kind of, you know, psychologically dealt with all the rest of it. That's the really worrying thing. On the other hand, you have the Irish government that is saying it's not red numbers on a spreadsheet for us, it's people being shot, it's bombs going off, it's, it's, it's a return to something unimaginable. And that is the number one you know, reality check, I think, for the U26, i.e. not Ireland, uh, who recognise that actually, hang on a minute, this isn't about balances on the spreadsheet, this is really, really fundamental. So I think, I hope, you know, that that will win out, but there is so much frustration that the... The business side of thing, I'm afraid, you know, that, that argument's already, you know, the, the cost has already been absorbed in planning terms. Do the Europeans, and I mean, that seems ridiculous because obviously Europe's a big place and there's lots of different sorts of Europeans. I mean, you know, but this is the, the way the argument is framed to some extent. Um, 
do they perhaps grasp the Irish issue better than you think British people well, the, do? The Commission does, uh, and, and, and the Council uh, president, obviously, and more, more broadly. And the Sherpas. Uh, I, I, th- I think so, but yeah, it, it, people understand it's the core of the, uh, of the reason why the backstop is necessary, and that's not questioned by anybody, by the way, but... Um, you know the, the the depth of understanding of the troubles i think will vary from 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 country to country most definitely hi arnon here sorry to butt in but i just wanted to say if you like this podcast which i'm sure you do then please rate it wherever you get your podcasts from you'll be doing a public service because it makes it easier for others to find us while you're at it go to our website www.ukandeu.ac.uk and sign up for our fantastic newsletter Every two weeks, free in your inbox. Do it now. Has Brexit been good or bad for the EU? And I appreciate it on the face of it, that seems quite a stupid question. But in a way, it may have banded people together mm. and made the institutions stronger. Or uh, it may have proved the limits of its capabilities. I don't know. I, I think it's done the opposite of what the Brexiteers assumed it would do. So the domino effect... Uh, the cry for uh, withdrawal from the European Union that would ripple across Europe, uh, that would be evident in, in elections from European elections to national elections, that simply hasn't happened. I think Brexit has been an, a, 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 a vaccination, if you like, against similar movements in other countries because they've seen basically what it's done to our country. And, and it's just the fundamental divide between what was promised and what is deliverable. And the way I summed it up the other day is to say what is promised is undeliverable and what is deliverable is undesirable. And that's the, the, the crunch of it. And so I think it's probably in a strange, weird way strengthened strengthened the European Union. It's certainly increased understanding amongst ordinary citizens of what the European Union does. Presumably British people understand the EU much better than they did ever before. I think they probably do. But they also, I think, are coming to understand Parliament better and better. But the fact that people are sitting, you know, literally sitting in pubs up and down the mm. country talking about the rights and wrongs of prorogation does not necessarily mean that our politics are oh. in a healthy state. Um, and when they're looking at Parliament, I don't think they're necessarily feeling very positive about things. They, they, want, this, they want this resolved. I mean, when, when Seb was talking about... Um, you know, having having a delay and maybe having a referendum as a way of resolving it, and how all of these different outcomes look really uncomfortable. One thing that um, is worth thinking about. I mean, you know, if we get an extension, and I don't know what the length of extension is likely to be, you might have views as to what they're likely to offer because mm. the bill that was pa- passed requires the government, if it comes to it, to ask for an extension to the end of January. Mm. I don't know whether the European partners would want to offer a longer extension, which is what they did last time. Mm. And under the terms of the bill, the UK Parliament would have to approve that. So I mm-hmm. guess if they offered us a year, that might get turned down. But if they offered us, say, six months rather mm. than three, you know, mm. maybe there's a compromise point there. If we did have a bit of breathing space, a referendum... We've written about the prospects for a second referendum. Mm. I'm very happy to talk about that. But a referendum by its nature is a polarising, divisive Mm. device. Mm. You know, Mm. it pushes people back into two opposing Mm. camps again. Mm. Another thing to do, which some people have talked about, and there was for a fleeting moment before it got wiped off the headlines by the prorogation announcement, a suggestion that the Archbishop of Canterbury was going to chair a citizens' assembly. Oh, citizens' assemblies. We love citizens' um, assemblies at UK and Changing Europe. We do, because uh, we, we at the Constitution Unit, along with the UK and Changing Europe, actually ran the yeah. citizens' assembly on Brexit in 2017. 
Um, and citizens' assemblies have a completely opposite effect to referendums. Rather than pushing people to the extremes, they actually bring people to the table and encourage them to listen to each other and reach compromises. Now, mm. it's only a limited number of people who get to do that, um, which obviously, you know, that may not be sufficient. But getting ordinary people around the table to say, hey, look, you know, we are in a hell of a mess. We've been, it's been three years now. We just can't agree what to do. What shall we do? Is there a way through this? Mm. You know, it couldn't do harm. It might help it, mm. a healing exercise. And if they come out and say, well, you know what, actually, maybe a soft Brexit is the way to go or, you know, whatever they mm. said, mm. people are crying out for an answer. And, you know, that could be something that could be fitted in with a longer timetable, completely mm. out of time for it now. But, it, mm. it, you know, it might be worth doing. Mm. It's an edit. Someone said something boring or illegal. Maybe told some slanderous story about Boris Johnson. You'll never know. Who's your favourite Brexit? My bre- favourite party. Brexit have you made friends favorite. earlier? Yeah, I can't remember his name. This is really bad. Um, there's a guy from the West Midlands who's quite sweet um, and, and friendly. Um, he doesn't seem that political, actually. He's just sort of, oh, hi, sir. That was his summer. He's very nice. I, I, can't, I find it hard to disagree with him. I, I can't nice. remember his name. That's good. I, I think it's Jonathan friends across someone. the party lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I, I have to... I mean, I'm quite bad, um, I'm afraid. I'm sorry, apologies to listeners. Um, yes, I believe in compromise. Yes, I believe in working together. But when someone wants to you know, kind of fundamentally change the direction of my country, I find it difficult. And I cannot share cars or talk to in the lift with some of... Most of them. I'm sorry. I, I just can't. I will take another oh. lift. Once Marine Le Pen... Sort of the doors open of the, of the lift and Marine Le Pen was in there and I'm afraid I... I I, I had to get Turned out of back. the lift. I did turn my back on Marine Le Pen. <laughs> it's very much... I took the stairs, actually. Um, That's a bad thing, isn't it, Meg? <laughs> isn't it better that you... I don't know. I mean, I, I, as a human, I if there's lines, something you strongly disagree with, I absolutely see where you're coming from. But isn't it better if politicians talk to each other and maybe that's why we have, you know, the silly voting no system that we have in Westminster? Some. But in Westminster, they always say, you know, the silly voting where you have to walk through and all that nonsense yeah. because people talk to each other in the lobbies. I mean, that just seems a bit of a weird reason. But no, I, um, I've always thought that works. But it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, I'm but maybe it works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think, I mean, you know, certainly in the last weeks, months, years, one of the things that we've seen as a byproduct in Westminster, I mean, you, you know, Seb was talking about the adversarial system and how it's different um, in the European Parliament, of course. Westminster is not divided along the lines of the traditional adversarial system. It's being very adversarial, but it's not about parties. It's mm. about views on Brexit. Mm. That's cutting across everything. Mm. And one of the things that we are seeing, I think, in the Westminster Parliament is friendships um, yeah. and collaboration between people in parties. I mean, to be honest, again, that was always there. It's mm. just not very visible. You know, people mm. work together on committees, people work together on cross-party mm. groups, all, yeah. all party groups on specialist issues, mm. a lot of which are not very political. You know, if it's you know, children with special needs or something, they're all working together, mm. irrespective of party. But Brexit has brought people together mm. in a new way. I think bonds and friendships that are really mm. deep and strong have mm. been built between people in the parties, mm. which I suppose you would have to say is, is rather nice. And is yeah. it a fundamental change? Is that going to last? I mean, obviously, Brexit's not going away any time soon but is it you know a fundamental change to the way Westminster works that this sort of more cross-party working might become more common? I think it's a really interesting question where what the lasting effects on Westminster are going to be and it's really difficult to answer at the moment because we don't know where we're going to end up you know it's not over yet but I think yes some of these things will not be readily 
put back in their box. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, there, there are questions about procedures, which, you know, the power of the speaker, who can get things onto the agenda, all of these kinds of things, which will be subject to review afterwards, oh. I think. Mm. Um, and yes, you know, these these friendships will last. And I think that people will want to work cross-party more. Although who knows, you know, maybe we are yet to see splits, formal splits mm, in some of the parties. Maybe some of these people will be forming official groupings with each other. The general election will be very, very difficult as well because obviously a lot of those people who do work across uh, and and build coalitions with with uh, partners across on the other side of the house, they're going to find themselves in a very... Difficult position, might not keep their seats, etc. So I, I wonder if the election will kind of polarise. Well, a very big question for the election is is going to be the extent to which the, well, to which the parties, primarily the parties of Remain, but mm. of course there's a controversy running regards the Brexit party and a mm. Boris Johnson Conservative mm. party, mm. the extent to which they will actually formally work together and step mm. aside for each other. Because I think the Greens and the Liberal Democrats are quite open mm, to that. Mm. And some of these characters, like Dominic Grieve and so on, who mm. have been thrown out of the Conservative Party, if that remains the case, Sarah mm. Wollaston, well, mm. she's gone to the Lib Dems now, but, you know, I think some of the Remain mm. potential candidates will step aside to facilitate those people getting elected. But mm. this has always been a very difficult thing for Labour, mm. hasn't it? Labour has. has never formally gone along with that no. kind of thing. I mean, it's in what our constitution that, that we, we, we need to provide Labour representation in every constituency so that it, it's not actually, by, via our rules, it's not actually possible to withdraw from a particular um, a contest. My only plea to, to the Greens and Lib Dems is, is, is don't, concentrate on Labour Tory marginals for goodness sake don't kick uh, out a uh, potential Labour MP for the sake of kicking us on Brexit because you know it's but if Labour doesn't, the numbers. if they, oh, Labour yes. doesn't step back in certain constituencies of course there I, is a I risk complete, of Remain votes I completely votes understand that I completely understand areas. that and, and I'm, I'm not you know I, 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 I think it's to be commended what uh, what is being proposed by by uh, parties willing to work together on, on the remain alliance uh, it's, it's as i say it's just it's our constitution so is labor a remain party yes yes Not membership you. I know you're no no a, you i know i know membership mps yes and i have to say majority of the leadership but just you know not everyone in the leadership but we also have to who, recognize who, who not in the leadership well, I, let's be honest here jeremy corbyn i think naturally would not be inclined to to um, support uh, the European Union. Uh, I, I, I think it's probably more ambivalent than Eurosceptic, but he's moved in, in a position that is far, far better than it ever was, and I think it would be unthinkable just a few months ago. We are now backing a referendum. We are now backing the option to remain, even if we end up um, um, with a process that we have to inherit of going through a negotiation process. I mean, it's a slightly absurd situation, I know, for the for the tabloids to, to kind of remark on you'd be negotiating a deal that you then uh, argue against. But the core principle we have is that we want the referendum and we want to but campaign for remains. Looks, at, one, at one level, it looks, it looks bizarre. And um, Emily Thornberry got criticised for on Question Time for, mm. for suggesting that this was the position. But when I watched that video, I thought, well, actually... You know, if you believe that the referendum results should be respected, mm. um, that you don't just want to toss aside those people mm. who mm. want to leave, mm. you could say that you've got a kind of mandate, you've got a responsibility to go mm. and negotiate the best possible version of Brexit that mm. you can, mm. and to put it to them 
honestly saying, mm. well, look, there's this, which we think is the best possible version of Brexit, mm. or there's not Brexit. Mm. Which one do you want? Absolutely. And, and, and actually that deal is I don't more... think it's as crazy as it sounds. No, absolutely. It's a tough absolutely. sell, though, isn't it? It's it a is tough a tough sell, sell in, in today's kind of, you know, soundbite, all the rest of it, and, and social media world. But actually, yeah, the, the, the essence of that deal is not the kind of ethos that the Labour Party is doing, that has come from the process that was enacted You're long ago by David Cameron. You're trying to deliver on the promise that was made precisely, to people and what they precisely. asked Precisely. And, yeah. and my argument has always been Brexit will end up being so massively different from what was sold in 2016. It's unthinkable that there isn't some kind of democratic check to proceed with it in order to check that people are still happy with, the, with, with what it contains. And, and that wouldn't change whether it's a Labour government, a Tory government or whatever. It's Brexit Family Fortunes, and here is your host, James Miller. Every month, the UK and a changing Europe do their Brexit policy panel, which we turn into Brexit Family Fortunes. <laughs> they ask 100 experts what's going to happen, um, and we've got the latest one out this week, and I ask you to guess how many of the experts answered the questions so how many of the hundred experts think there'll be an election before the end of november you go first (laughs) you're you're probably one of them Uh, i'm sure you are uh 80 uh i say i'd say 90 76 76 so pretty close back how many think we'll leave without a deal oh uh i'll go with 42 oh 25. Oh, no, no. 59. Wow. Wow. It was about 38 back in the spring. When was this? This is done over the last month. Oh, right. I mean, they might have changed. To be honest, the experts (laughs) change their opinions quite a lot. But, you know, that's why they're experts. That's a good thing. Yeah, because I am one of those people. That's scary. You should have seen. I'm not sure I'm consistent at all. You should hear some of the things they've said in the past. Consistency is hard these days. At this election, this is, you know, where we come on to the next question. Tories get the most seats. How many of the, uh, the experts think the Tories are going to get the most seats? I'm going to say 60. 50. 81. Wow, 81. Okay, think the Tories get the most seats. Not majority, just the most seats. Interesting. How many of them think the Lib Dems are going to win the election? <laughs> Two. Five? Six. Wow. Six of these experts think the Lib wow, Dems okay. are actually going to win the election. Wow. Well, we are in a world where anything is possible. I wasn't one of them. I don't know who these six are. I'm going to get them thrown off this panel and uh, I'm going to replace them. for breakfast. They're crazy. Uh, who, well, who knows? Who knows? Um, your take on where Labour are going to end up in this election, Seb? Okay, well, obviously, I, I very much want Labour to win the election. Um, that wasn't and, the question. Yeah, so I know. How, where do you think know, they're going to end I'm up? a politician. I have to say that. Um, but it's, it's look, I, okay, predictions are literally impossible. One day, I think, you know, Boris's, Boris Johnson's message, I can't call him Boris, sorry, but Johnson's message is going to go and, 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 and is going to cut through. And then, and then other days, uh, you will see the utter chaos, that, you know, the, the, the lack of planning. And I know that's part of his thing, but actually in a period where we're in chaos, people want a bit of stability and leadership. And I think Jeremy Corbyn contrasts quite well with Boris Johnson on, on some of these things. So I honestly don't know because all of my presumptions end up kind of sometimes right, sometimes not. I, I can't call this. I have no idea. Honestly, um, I'm not just saying that. I mean, the Conservatives, in some respects, I completely agree with you. I do completely agree with you. But, you know, they are pissing themselves now against the British Retail Consortium. Mm. Against the BMA, mm. you know, oh. um, I don't know to what extent these things no. resonate. I know. 
but it's a really extraordinary set of circumstances that we're in. Right, uh, one quick question before we finish with the feature. Should I go to Brussels for holiday at half term? Is it a nice place? I've it's never a been. beautiful place. Is it I, really? Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. What's it I got? Really... It's got like beer and chocolate and, beer a, and, and a statue of a boy oh, doing a wee with how I had to okay, tell it so... to my children, but they weren't <laughs> buying it. <laughs> That's three statues of, of people urinating, actually. One, one of animals, uh, uh, one animal urinating. Um, so look, it's, it's a pretty little city um the grand place yeah very much so look it's a great place culturally uh, it's diverse um it's got great little neighborhoods fantastic museums galleries um cafes it, you've got the other thing about brussels of course is is that you've got people from all over the continent and indeed the world experts in their field who come there they they stay for a bit and it makes this it makes it very exciting. It's not a dull place at all. Right. I've become very fond of it. There we go. Another recommendation already. But we'll finish with the actual recommendation feature, which is uh, in the unlikely event this podcast has been insufficiently enlightening. I'm not sure if that's the right wording, but it's something like that. In the unlikely event this podcast has not enlightened you sufficiently. Understanding Brexit, the list gets longer and longer. What would you recommend to anybody who wants to understand Brexit? Where should we start? Uh, Meg? You well, go? you very kindly sent a link to all of the previous things that have been recommended. And yeah. we're in the third series now. And I scrolled back very dutifully to make sure I didn't repeat. And I'm afraid I have to say something utterly predictable. Nobody's mentioned the Constitution Unit yet. <gasps> really? No. That's well, I don't outrageous. think so. I was so surprised that I actually did a search on the list in case <laughs> I'd missed it. So the Constitution Unit Twitter feed, the Constitution Unit blog, and, and if you want to come to our events and things, the Constitution Unit mailing list as well. Excellent. Mm. Oh, that seems fair. Uh, you're not really supposed to recommend your own stuff, but... Uh, Lots of people uh, have, Const- Exactly. The Constitution that. Unit's not been Can on I that. Can I see my outrageous. Twitter feed? <laughs> but yeah, you'll, you'll have to, that's good. You'll have to come to something else yeah, the next. Time. Follow me on Twitter. No, I, I, I'd say Catch Twenty Two. Um, <laughs> honestly, that whether you want to the, the, the new series or, or the, the obviously the novel, but um, you know the fundamental dilemma there. I think there is a, a, a desire, certainly amongst politicians of all stripes, to find the easy way out. There's no easy way out. Every single option we have ends up in a Catch Twenty Two type situation with 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 serious negative consequences. And what we have to do is own and challenge those negative consequences there's, there's no there's no other way through and we, we can't be afraid of it so there you go did you enjoy that if you did the next podcast you can come and watch live yes uh, the uk to changing europe is again taking part in podcast live in central london on october the 5th you can come and see me and Anand Menon and Catherine Barnard and who knows who else but we all have really cool important friends so we'll have some pretty good guests I can assure you of that um, it's at the venue it used to be called the um, Quaker Meeting House it's uh, near Euston in London I remember reporting there a long time ago on a Lib Dem hustings when Ming Campbell and Chris Hoon and Simon Hughes were competing for the leadership and I can absolutely cast iron guarantee our podcast will be more interesting than that. Um, I hope we haven't got one of them lined up to be a guest. Um, yeah, October the 5th, go to the website, it's Podcast Live, and you can uh, buy your tickets. You can just come and see us, or you can see all sorts of other people. But I can also guarantee that we will be the best. Uh, so, uh, I set you a competition at the start of this podcast to uh, tell me about the statues in Brussels. I was... Uh, as surprised as you were, frankly, by Seb's answer. If you clocked it, get in touch. 
The best way is the email address, which is UK and EU at kcl.ac.uk. That is the email address for your competition entries. And like I say, first out of the hat, um, we'll win a Brexit breakdown mug as modelled by Seb and Meg in the photos that go along with this podcast, which will be on Twitter and social media and all that sort of thing. If you want to follow uh, us, UK and Changing Europe, we are uh, at UK and EU on uh, Twitter. And you can find uh, the organisation on Facebook. And you can find the organisation on Facebook as well. Uh, I am at Political Yeti on Twitter. And my website is james-miller.com. And you can find the full list of recommendations there. Um, do please get in touch if you, uh, not just for competition entries, if you have any guests you think we should be having on, if there's any issues you think we need to be tackling. Uh, clearly, be- Brexit. <laughs> clearly, Brexit is uh, getting more and more uh, complex and we're getting towards the sharp end of this part of the process. The process is going to go on a long time as anybody who listened to the last podcast uh, with Catherine Barnard and John Curtis and Jonathan Portes will know. But uh, yeah, please get in touch so you can sort of tell us uh, what you want, where you want us to go as the thing unfolds. Uh, the music has again been the uh, Requiem for a Fish by the Freak Fandango Orchestra and this has been the Brexit Breakdown Podcast from the UK in a changing Europe, supported by King's College London, and funded and supported by the Economic and Social Research Council. Uh, come back in uh, a couple of weeks, I guess we'll be into Podcast Live next, so come back and see us in a couple of weeks for Podcast Live, and when we've uh, recorded that it will be up uh, in the usual place, so if you can't make it to central London, you can listen in. Um, look forward to it, uh, listen in in a few weeks, thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.